Welcome to Fairfield, What Are You Reading? A next great read podcast from Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm Philip Barr, your host and head of adult services. Each month we gather a group of library staff together for a conversation about books, authors, and of course, reading. What we're reading, what we've just finished, what we're excited about coming soon. Most of the books will be new, some may be older, The group will focus on books we love, and hopefully you will too. Imagine you come to the library, ask a librarian for a next great read, a couple more staff stop by, and soon everyone is trading their favorite new reads. Listen in now as we begin. Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to episode 21 of Fairfield, What Are You Reading? A next great read podcast from Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Today is November 2nd, 2022. My guests and colleagues, Susan Bala, Linda Quinn, and Claudia Silk, will be discussing their favorite new books and what's on the horizon in publishing for the holiday season and beyond. Why don't we jump right in? Sue, do you have something for us? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm going to start off with two uh, narrative nonfiction books that recently came out. Uh, The first one is Prisoners of the Castle by Ben McIntyre. Uh, you might know him from Operation Mincemeat, uh, Double Cross, and Agent Sonia. Uh, Prisoners of the Castle is about um, Colditz Castle, which was the um, the fortress prison during World War II that the Nazis had for prisoners that had tried to escape other prisons. This was supposed to be inescapable. And they had high-profile prisoners, so they had I think it was Winston Churchill's nephew and and things uh, people like that who could be held uh, not for ransom but for favors. Yeah. So um, they had prisoners from all over. They had British, Canadian, French, Polish, and these prisoners were dead set on escaping this prison. So they would form teams, and they would get points if you could get out. So they would tr- they would escape but always get captured. A few made it, and then that team would get extra points. Um, but it was really well guarded. The person in charge of the prison actually was not in favor of Nazi methods. So he thought it was great that they were trying this and that they had teamwork. And he never really punished them for trying to to escape, but they had, um, they built a glider in the attic. That was one of the fun things. They built an actual glider in the attic. They never got to fly it out. They were uh, rescued before they had to fly it out. Um, but they did all kinds of things to, to help in their escape. They duplicated keys. They made copies of maps. Um, the war, British War Office would communicate with them in code, and, uh, and they would smuggle items into them, uh, disguised in care packages, but they never used the Red Cross care packages because they never wanted the Red Cross care packages to stop coming. So if a family member um, sent in a package, they'd try and try and get something in there. But it was, if you like, the great escape, or uh, it was a little hairy at the end because they were afraid, just like all the other camps and prison camps that once the allies were getting closer that they would try to um wipe them out right wipe them out so yeah. uh so it was a, that was very exciting but it, it was great and exciting adventure 
The other one came out in October, American Midnight Democracy's Forgotten Crisis by Adam Hochschild. Uh, he wrote King Leopold's Ghost. And this one was a little scary. It's about the World War I, the United States during World War I and Woodrow Wilson's presidency and how people's civil rights, constitutional rights, everything were just thrown out the window that um, Woodrow Wilson put people in high office, like in the post office, so the post office general could decide on a whim what he allowed to go through the mail. So if it was something controversial or something that was not in favor of the war or any of their allies, he just withheld it and never let this information go out. The person that was in charge of immigration He's the one that put in the quotas, which were also in place uh, during World War II and before when people were fleeing Nazi Germany and were not allowed into the United States because the quotas were full. But he would deport anybody that he wanted to. If you were Italian, he, he would deport you because he thought all Italians were anarchists. Uh, Jews he deported, Eastern Europeans, anybody that was German or... Um, Hungarian, they would go because they were against the Allies during World War I. So it was scary, and it paralleled almost how our country was almost becoming, you know, not too long ago. So it's scary, but it's important to, to, to read. So. Yeah, it sounds very important. <clears throat> and who was keeping track of all this at the time? Was there any kind of check and balance anything at all not really because if anybody who was not in in office they would just be put in prison like if you spoke up against any of this you were put in prison without any trial you were just languishing there until they deported you somewhere yeah it was it was hard to to um to go against these these edicts that he and it's interesting because i think the postmaster general part of this is really smart because the only communication at that point was mail you know there wasn't media and all that because it was world war one so right they really were able to control what was going out to the public right right so if there were other points of view like socialists or anyone like that they would get their views out by newspapers newspaper mailings and these newspapers just wouldn't go out so no information that was anti-government, United States government, anti-allies or anti-war would go out. And you could be arrested if you just murmured anything anti-U.S., anti-war, or anti-allies. Freedom of speech was just... I was going to ask about newspapers. Did they arrest reporters, or did they just try to clamp down on distribution? I think it was distribution, but there were people. Um, Kate Richards was Kate Richards O'Hare was one. Um, they were frequently arrested, um, sent into prison with no uh, no trial, no no anything. So, so it was an important book to read, I think, and uh, important to know what happened and not to let that happen again. What's the quote? What's the quote? Um, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, very true. Right, but I mean, 
everyone should <laughs> should know some of these things. But okay, so I always like to talk about the um, adult year long reading challenge and October's um, genre were creepy books, mysteries, thrillers, horror, crime. And uh, I do read some of those. <laughs> so uh, my favorite was Killers of a Certain Age. Oh, I have that too. I'm so excited. I love that Love book. that one. By Deanna Rayburn. It's about four women in their 60s who were elite assassins who are now retiring. But they find out that they are now in the sights of the organization that they worked for. So they have to figure out who sent them and how to get the, the X off their backs. While they're on a retirement cruise, they find this out. <laughs> <laughs> were, they were they sent, sent on that cruise? They were sent on that cruise. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite parts is when they're, uh, one of them is trying to, is fighting with someone, and she hurts her hip because she's so old. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that that I love, that they're not as nimble as they once were in their... Right, so they have to work together and they have to prove, which they do, that they're still as good as they ever were, even though they're of a certain age. Hilarious, fun, just a really good read. Can I just interrupt while you're doing that? Because I think the bullet that missed um, Richard, and I think that that's like a, if you like, if you like the Richard Osmond books, you're going to love the Deanna Rayburn and vice versa. And if you haven't discovered Richard Osmond's trio of books with the Thursday Murder Club, it's four retirees um, who get together to solve, to meet, to help me, Linda, solve they, unsolved. Right, mysteries. they discuss cold cases and things, and then they always and get then sucked they always into get their involved own. <laughs> with something real. Um, it's laugh out loud, funny, clever, um, and he came up with the idea when he was visiting his mother at a senior housing, and he thought, "Oh, these these people are much sharper than than other people give them credit for." <laughs> That's what I loved about the killers of a certain age too. All these men that were after them, they thought, "Oh, they're retirement age; we can take them out pretty quickly." Not so much, and it didn't happen, and not so much. Okay, and the other one um, is Little Eve by Catriona Ward. Uh, you might know her from The Last House on uh, Needless Street and Sundial. Yes, Little Eve is about um, a doomsday cult portrayed as a family on a remote Scottish island, and they're preparing for the end of the world. It's atmospheric. The narrator is an unreliable narrator, so you're never quite sure um, if she's telling the truth and what's going on. But <clears throat> they're all waiting for the adder to come at the end of the world, and um, they will inherit his powers. Um, I, was, I was a little... Yeah, the snake handling was a little... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was someone... a little what? A little, a little creepy. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a little creepy. They all have it's... to take their turn with trying to handle the adder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no visuals right now, but everyone's kind of scrunching their faces. <laughs> uh, but there is a policeman who, who knows what's uh, or is aware that something is going on, and he does try to help Eve. Because it's one adult with a whole bunch of younger people on the island. Well, there is that one adult woman. 
but but uncle but, but they all in are like yes they all are like his children um so it's it's amazing how they all came together and like i said it's it's so atmospheric that you feel like you're you're in the windswept uh on the cliffs, cliffs. yeah um but it, it's really good creepy it's gothic and let's see just one that uh just came out. It's number six in a series. I like my murder mystery series. Uh, murder at the Serpentine Bridge. And that is um, by Andrea Penrose, who I didn't realize was a local author. It's the Rexford and Sloan mystery series. It's got a little bit of romance in it, but not not really. But, you know, if you. So you, you wouldn't like, call it a romance no, at all? No, no, no. <laughs> That's good. No. Yeah, I have, an, I have a favorite author who says that you can have a little bit of romance in a mystery, but if you have a little bit of mystery in a romance, that's not a mystery book. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And they're, they're equals. The, the, um, the woman is um, into science. They're all into science. So there's about strong, there are strong women. One is, her friend is a whiz at math, and she teaches her young wards um, all about science and math. So they're strong characters, it, they're good mysteries, and it's just a good series to start. And you said she's a local author? She is, but that, uh, that was number six, so it's a good historical mystery series. Anybody else want to jump in? Well, if we're going to go with mystery series, there, there were a lot that came out. Desert Star by Michael Connolly was one I really liked. He he's started combining all of his characters. Like he has Bosch, and he has Ballard, and he had like the Lincoln Lawyer. They're all kind of together now in his oh. in his books. Oh, wow. I didn't so know this that. one I didn't know was that I think it was number four for his Ballard and Bosch. So Bosch is older now and he's helping close cold cases, but there's still a lot of um, animosity toward him in the different departments where he took down crooked cops or didn't necessarily follow the right procedure to get people arrested. So he's been um, brought on as an older retired person to help with this new cold case so they all get immersed in that and the usual Bosch hijinks he's doing things he shouldn't be doing and pretending he's still in service when he's not necessarily but they get the job done so that's always a good series to go through and then the latest Robert Galbraith was just out too it's called Ink Black Heart Again, Corman Strike, that's yeah, a really big one. I was just <laughs> going to say, you have to mention how huge those books are. Those Sorry. books are very big. You have yeah. to really invest it, but the characters are fantastic. And if you don't know, the author's actually J.K. Rowling. Um, so there's been some controversy as to whether we want to read these books, but they're so well written. The characters advance every, in every book. You really are immersed in, and you really get invested in the characters of Corman Strike, who is a veteran. He's lost one leg in an IUD attack so that's always part of the story like as he's following people or he'll trip going down into the subway and it just makes it that much harder so that's all part of the atmosphere too because he's always injured and this one he particularly takes note of the fact that he really needs to get himself together because he's overweight and he smokes and it all affects him health wise and it makes it harder for him to do his job and it puts more and more on his partner but the characters are fantastic and the mystery is really great and this one's about um, gamers who are threatened, um, their, their fan base starts to take over and doesn't like what they're doing with the game, so then they start getting threatened. And there may or may not be a murder, and then they have to figure out who did it. 
So the latest lives up to the other ones. Absolutely, as far as you're she really she really does a good job progressing the characters um, through the different books. Like when they first start out, Robin is just a temp, and then she progresses through the books because it's what she's always wanted to do. So she becomes trained, she becomes a partner, um, she gets married in one book. That that becomes a problem because the husband's jealous of Cormoran's strike because they spend so much time together. So there's a whole, it's not just a murder mystery. You really get immersed into these lives and it's like you're part of it. Kind of like Elizabeth George in the day. Yeah. With the a Lindley series. Yeah. And they are very big, but. I know, I'm going to save them for retirement. Yeah, so the, so, but are they a fast read, sort of like the Stephen King giant They books? really are. Okay, Yeah, That's because good. you get sucked into the story and then you're just turning the pages. I mean, there there is some probably that doesn't need to be there, but again, it's all part of the character development. It's like a three-hour movie. Exactly. <laughs> Add it, please. Add it, please. <laughs> but the, I, always, I still look forward to them coming out because, again, I just want to find out what's going to go on with the characters. Oh, that's great. I'm just going to, I'm going to jump in because when you talked about gamers, and I know it's a book you read too, um, when I hear about gaming, I want nothing to do with it. So Gabriel Zevin had a new book, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow, and I really like her, but I really wasn't interested because it was about gaming. But I did read it because a lot of people I respect and um, like their opinions of books loved it. And I am so glad that I didn't skip over it. It was a great story. It, I mean, gaming is what brings the characters together, and it's the theme, but it's not what it's about. And the relationships were incredible, and it was a page turner. I couldn't put it down. I know people who both listened or read, and either way was a, a great read. So I would say it's one of my favorites of the year. And her character, again, it's the characters that drive the story. For sure. N none of them are perfect. None of them are like. You feel empathy toward them every now and then. It's like, oh, that was a bad decision. But you just keep going. Because they're human. Right. Agreed. I love that book. Me too. And then I had arguments with friends for years. There's a book, Kind Worth Killing, by Peter Swanson. And it's about this psychopath who, she really only kills people that really deserve it. So, like Dexter. Yeah, so I was rooting for her throughout the whole book. And at the very end, it's like, oh, she's going to get caught. But it ends at that point. So now it's seven years, in real time, seven years later, he has put out the sequel to that book, and it's called The Kind Worth Saving. And it is the police detective that took her down in the first book, um, and he's having some issues, and he may be being stalked and put in the crosshairs of these psychos he's trying to take down, and he actually goes to her for help. So you find out what happened to her from the first book, and she helps him in the second book, to take down these other psychopaths who are really not worth saving. So I was not rooting for the new psychopaths. I was still feeling the empathy for the first one. And the fact that he came back seven years later and wrote a second book, I think made me feel so much better about all the arguments I had with, was she worth saving? Um, and it, it kind of answers that story. So this, that one was fantastic too. That's great. While we're on books that you and I have both read, uh, Mad Honey by Jody Bacolt, and I want to get Jennifer's name right, um, Jennifer Finney Boylan. That I don't know if, it, if you know the story about this book, but Jennifer, I think, messaged um, Jody Bacolt and said, I had a dream last night of a book that I want to write, and I think the character came to her. Lily, the character, came to Jennifer and literally basically cold called Jody Bacolt. Jody Bacolt was like, I love it. We're going to do it. And they wrote it through COVID. 
Um, I feel like it's Jodi Bacolt in the beginning where you just cannot put her book down. It's told in alternating voices. Jodi wrote one character. Um, Jennifer wrote the other character, but you don't know. And then they switched for a chapter. Um, and I would never be able to tell you. No, I thought about it. When I, I read the book and then I heard that story. And I Me thought, too. I went back and I thought, you really can't tell. They, the, the writing is really on point. The characters are great. And it's just one of those books that's going to really make you think. And it's a, a, a high school romance and then, uh, is it safe to say, a murder? I don't think that's a spoiler alert. Um, yeah, I think that's from the beginning. It's, it's what you know is going to happen. Yes. Um, but literally a page turner. Plus, not only was the story so good, I learned a lot about bees and honey, which I found really interesting. But I definitely put mad honey on your list. I'm trying to look it up really quickly, but did, um, you know, she, Jennifer Finney Boylan is a academic and then also she's mostly written memoir about her trans experience, but have either any of the three of you read her, because she had a, f- a mystery that she had out a couple yeah. years ago. The Long Black Veil. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Long yeah. Black Veil. Yeah. Which I was, I thought was really, really good mm-hmm. for, especially for a first time fiction. And I think she's going to continue with that, right? With with fiction mystery, right? Yeah, this mystery was really really well done. It's it's a high school romance. Someone is killed. The boyfriend is accused and put on trial, but you're never quite sure. Like, did he do it? Did he not right. do it? Um, so even through the the narration, you're not sure until the very end. Which I that's what I loved about right. And it's the mothers. The mothers are involved. The mother of the it's the mother of the boy is one of the narrators, and the um, character Lily is the other narrator. Really well done. Yeah. All right, I'll go on with um, something I listened to. It's called Life on the Mississippi by Rinker Buck. I don't know if you're oh, you're familiar with him. He also wrote the Oregon Trail. If you like Bill Bryson, you'll like his books. He's he's getting older and he's becoming that same curmudgeon, but he takes experiences from like the 1800s or so and he redoes them. So with the Oregon Trail, he went and he found um, oxen or and a mule. And he had a, a covered wagon built, and he actually followed the Oregon Trail in modern days. So there he was out on the road with cars zipping past him and motorcycles, and he was doing it the old-fashioned way. So this one, Life on the Mississippi, he does the same thing where he, he has a flat boat built for him, and he's going to go down a section of the Mississippi the same way um, Mark Twain would have done, the way things were moved back in the day. And again, it's his experience on the river, but he's more of a curmudgeon now, so it was. It's funny at the same time, but it's fascinating to hear how things have changed and how things have stayed the same, and his whole experience on the river and the people that he meets. And again, if you like Bill Bryson, it, it's really well done. I listened to this one, and the narrator for his books is always really good. But that one was a good one, and then just. Um, did you read Anywhere You Run? Yes, I was going to say okay. Wanda Morris. We'll talk about that one. Yeah, go. Two, Two Sisters, 1964. Um, Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. The sisters are black. Um, there's a murder. Well, three men have been murdered. Right. Who have come down to um, help with the voting. Which So that starts. Right, so that's where we are. That actually happened, but the sisters get involved. One of them goes on the run for killing a white man. The other sister's on the run, just basic social shame that she's trying to avoid. And the two get pulled into this hole. We don't know why 
the sister who's on the run for the murder is also being tracked by someone else. Yes, who has his own secrets. Right, and we don't know why until pretty well into the book. Pretty well into why the book. Why he is so, he has to find her. And it's told from the perspective, three perspectives. So it's the one sister, Marigold, who has to leave Jackson, Mississippi because of, um, um, she's unwed and she's pregnant. And then the other sister murdered the, the white man, and then the person pursuing them. So it's told from their three voices, so it just moves so quickly. And when one voice ends, the next one starts, and you need to keep going because you have to understand if they're going to get away. And Right. And which one do you root for? Exactly. Because even the person tracking them... Which had, makes everybody so human. Right. Had his own backstory where you want him to succeed, but not succeed in finding them. Exactly. And the suspense keeps building and more characters get involved. And the atmosphere of 1964 Mississippi. Mississippi. And then Georgia. Yeah. And then a little bit in um, Ohio. So uh, she, her first book was All Her Little Secrets, which was a debut that got a ton of attention because it was really well done. But this one blows, blows it out of the water. Anywhere you run by Wanda Morris, definitely recommend. And then my last one well, at least for mysteries, uh, the new John Grisham boys from Biloxi. Um, he's become kind of cookie cutter, but this one was a little different in that it talks about the mafia that was in Mississippi, um, really early 70s, and gambling, the prostitution, the drugs. Um, I really had no idea, because now down there it's, it's all cleaned up and it's like a tourist attraction. But um, they were really ruthless, and there, were, there's people killed, and there's people that disappear, all for the these families that want to control the strip in Biloxi. Wow. So this one surprised you? It did. It was just different. I mean, yes, there's lawyers involved in all the way all of his books are, but it was interesting to learn that history of Biloxi that I had no idea that there was a strip, like comparable yeah, to the I. Vegas Strip and wow. the same kind of um, thugs running it. Interesting. When you talk about authors having the same formulaic books, <clears throat> I think of Chris Bojalian, who is one of my favorite authors, mm -hmm. who pledged to never write the same book twice, and he hasn't. He hasn't, yeah. Completely different. All of his books are completely different. They're always great. Um, but, yeah, he, he tries to find different stories to tell. And he always succeeds. You never know what you're going to get when you pick up one of his books. Does he have one coming up? Well, he's always he writing. He always right, but nothing we know about yet. I just want to throw his name out there because <laughs> he's one of my favorites. Agreed. Well, and the lioness was completely different from the one before it. The witching hour. Yes. Right. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is the third book in Naomi Novik's um, I don't know if it's a trilogy or whether she's going to keep going with this. She started, and I, I think I've talked about it on earlier podcasts, um, A Deadly Education, which is um, a little bit more violent than Harry Potter in that the school's trying to kill the students. There's all these mouths in the, the school, so they don't, they don't only have to learn what they have to learn. They also have to survive the school. So that started with Deadly Education. Then the last graduate took them to graduation. This third one is called The Golden Enclave. So they're all outside of the school, but they find out that the way they got rid of the school wasn't really permanent. So they're still all getting sucked in. There are 
um, enclaves across the world that are starting to get attacked. So they all have to figure out what went wrong, how can they fix it. And again, if you like Harry Potter, this is a more adult version of that. And um, there's a lot of humor in it, too. The, the main character that is the narrator is very snarky, and it's fantastic. So is, it, is this book, they're in their 20s, or like out of school? Um, I think they're still... Or they're college. College kind of? age more. Okay. It's more like a high school that they were getting out of. But yeah, the school's still out there trying to kill people, and it's, it's just really well done, and, and the world that she has built... It's the same thing like with the human, the muggles versus the wizards. There's that, but there's a, they all have these shields so that the people can't see their actual enclaves and see what's going on. And so they have to be careful as they're out in the world to not use their magic and draw attention to themselves while part of the world is actually trying to kill them. I have a couple more that I wanted to talk about. Um, Marmy by Sarah Miller. If you were a Little Women fan by Louisa May Alcott, Sarah Miller tells the story of the mother, Marmy, um, and basically retells Little Women from an adult perspective. So there was, I thought she honored, I felt like Louisa May Alcott could have written this book, so I liked that. And I also liked revisiting all the characters and the stories that you know. Marmy by Sarah Miller, just a lot of fun. And then um, Elizabeth Strout did her fourth Lucy book. Um, Lucy by the Sea. It is phenomenal. It deals with Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, I'm sorry, Lucy and her ex-husband escaping New York and going up to Maine during COVID and what happens with their isolation and being together, where their daughters are, and it just continues their story. But Elizabeth Strout's writing is phenomenal. It's beautiful. You can you really get to know every single one of those characters. You can see them. You know what they're going to say because she does such a good job of creating them. And um, they end up in the town of um, Olive Kittredge, too. Where that, actually, it's where Olive Kittredge was. That's where they go to during COVID. Um, if you haven't read any of the Lucy books, you're in for a treat. And you could also read it just on its own. And I thought she did a really good job with... Um, setting it in COVID because we're still so close, but it felt almost nostalgic. Well, it's interesting because I went during COVID, I was um, listening to some podcasts and they would be asking authors, are you going to write about COVID? And this was fiction authors. Are you going to include COVID? Are you? And a lot of them were not sure. They just didn't know because it changes your whole focus, you know? So it's interesting. It's great to see some of these books come out now. Absolutely. And for people to make the choice, you know, the author to make the choice, yeah, I'm going to do it in her case, or no, I'm just going to skip over it. So Yeah, she full out embraced it. She really did. And I loved it because we didn't have that experience. We weren't we weren't able to go somewhere and isolate. We were right, back at work. because we had to work. So yeah. we didn't have that experience of not being able to see people or interact with people. Like the isolation that she describes was really um, eye-opening. And the house was almost like a character, right? Because yes. the house is up on the hill with yeah. the changing scenery. But that's the changing scenery and the nature because you weren't seeing other people. and Right. And how people felt about like New Yorkers moving into their towns, right? The yeah. the friendly guy down the street like put a sign on their car and said, "Go back home." Right. <laughs> I did get some of that during COVID. Right. 
Yeah, one of my one of my favorite films is called Eve's Bayou. It came out in the '90s, and they just re-released it on Criterion and Blu-ray. And as most of you know, I collect, I still collect discs. And uh, they had the an interview with the cat with some of the cast, but it was it was during it was during COVID, so they were all you know in their Zoom pods. Um, but it was interesting because what you were saying, Linda, about like we didn't have that opportunity, so. Most of them are, you know, one of them is a director, a couple of actors, one of them's a composer. They all, you know, they all retreated. Like they all had homes to go to. One of them went to the Cape. One of them was in Atlanta. And they all talked about like how they had time to really spend with their kids. And I thought, oh, okay. (laughs) That was not my experience. Well, that's what I thought the brilliance of this book was because if you didn't have that experience, then you learned about someone else's isolation and worrying about the like the daughters got sick there was nothing they could do about it they couldn't go see them the daughters were in Connecticut they were up in Maine right and that the husband was smart enough to tell them to isolate and get out of the city but right so if you but if you did have that experience where you did have to isolate this would at least um let you know you hadn't been alone through it like so many other people were experiencing the same thing so true yeah she does one scene where um so Lucy's two daughters and one of the daughter's husbands are living together in Connecticut and they're living in the um, son-in-law's parents' home. The parents are in Florida. And then the parents decide to come back up to Connecticut. But they've been in Florida, so they haven't taken quarantining and masks or anything seriously. And just describing the tension within a family of, you know, did you mask? Did you, were you in touch with other people and that kind of thing? She just did, it was so real. Like right. you could feel the tension. Are we going to let them in the house? Do they have yes. to stay somewhere else? Exactly. Mm. And the people from Florida thinking that their adult children were insane. So it was just all that different perspective, which she did such a good job. And so many authors have, have put out books recently where they completely skip over. Like they either said yeah. it before COVID or they yep. said it in the yeah. future. Sure. Absolutely. She just full out embraced it and, really looked at all the sides of it. I thought it was fantastic. I did too. Anything she does is fantastic. So before we um, talk about what's on the horizon, does anybody have any, I don't want to cut anybody off if anybody, if any of the three of you have anything pressing. So my, normally I just jump right into this, but I'll preface this today by saying that uh, we all know that there's three names that are on the horizon that are pretty big, which is Michelle Obama, Bono, and Prince Harry. So if any of you have anything other than the three, but feel free to talk about those three as well. But if any of you have anything else that favorite authors or books you're excited about, holidays or January or February. Well, I have March and April. But yeah, there's a well, huge, a lot coming oh, out oh, good. in the first quarter of next year. Uh, in March, there's a debut uh, wayward by amelia hart and i feel like i was a little bit of a book pusher with this book i made everyone read it and i stared at them until they downloaded it um (laughs) but it's a debut novel about three women from the same family over five centuries and um it starts with kate well actually i guess it would state uh start in um 1619 with alpha wayward she was um very in tune to nature. All of these women are very in tune to nature. And you know, in the 1600s, what that got you, it got you labeled as a witch. Um, so it's about um, Altha in the 1600s, um, Violet in during World War II. She's a young girl 
also very focused on nature, which her father feels is not something she should be doing. She should be preparing to be a wife. Mm. And then 2019 is Kate, who is fleeing an abusive relationship. So she flees back to the family home, um, and she discovers her the family secret. And it's about women being empowered and men trying to uh, men who are afraid of them because of this power that they have. Um, I loved it. I don't know if anyone else read it. I'm giving you the stink eye if my colleagues here did not read it. Because, but uh, Adding it to my list. I was okay. just going to say, yes, I'm now. moving it up to now. the top of my list. Um, and the other one coming out in April is The London Seance Society by Sarah Penner. She wrote The Lost Apothecary, which was a very big book. And it's 1873. It's a woman um, who is a medium who uh, she's known worldwide for her talent in conjuring spirits of murder victims who would then tell who murdered them. So not everybody wants to, to um, for that information to be out there. So so it's about um, her protege trying to find out who murdered her sister and the people that are trying to stop them from finding out um, secrets. But it's really good. London Seance Society, if you, like, uh, if you liked The Lost Apothecary, you'll like it. If you like um, historical fiction, it's really good. And were there two timelines again? Did it go back and forth? Maybe it went back to before the murder but okay. it wasn't that far back. Interesting. Did you read it? You didn't read I haven't it. read that yet, but The Lost Apothecary was very defined with the yes. back and forth. Yes, yeah. it wasn't like that. Well, I'm really excited. Um, Rebecca Mackay, I haven't read it yet. She has a new book coming out in February called I Have Some Questions for You. So I'm very excited about that book. Um, Anne Napolitano, who wrote Dear Edward, which was a very popular book. She has a new one coming out in March, Hello Beautiful. And... Um, who else? Abraham Verges is going to have a new book. He wrote Cutting for Stone. He's got a new one coming, um, I think, next spring, late spring. So I'm thrilled about that. Uh, Kate Morton has a new one coming out in April. She hasn't had a new book in a while, so I'm excited about that. Homecoming is the name of that one. Louise Penny has oh, one. Oh, I cannot wait. The yes, end of this we all, month. We are all waiting for that one to come out. Exactly. Louise Penny has been moved to my retirement pile. I can't, uh. keep, <laughs> I can't keep up. I'm getting the stink eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've mostly spent the time reading local authors. We had a lot of local authors here. So um, we have a lot of really good talent in this state, if not in this town. Some of them are in this town. Um, Juliet Brisman is a 9-11 widow that just had her book come out called A Heart Returned. Um, her memoir... Um, there's Valerie Walsh is in New Milford. She has one, um, Chatter to the Core. That was another memoir, fantastic, about very heartfelt and very honest. And I really ripped right through it. It was really a good read. Um, so I've just been focusing on a lot of local authors. But we have a lot to offer here at the library of all these books we're putting together for our collection. Well, thank you, Sue, Linda, and Claudia. And many thanks to our podcast editor, Max Berryman. And thank you listeners so much for joining us on another episode of Fairfield What Are You Reading? podcast brought to you by Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Check out show notes for book titles and authors mentioned today 
And please join us next month for our annual Favorite Reads as each podcast library staff member shares their favorite book. (laughs) 